This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Dude, you are so money, but you don't even know it, but you do. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Three years ago this week, the kind folks here at WSJS Sports decided to put on a show called The Drive with Josh Graham. And today... According to our pal David Glenn on Twitter, it looks like we might be the longest-running local show in the history of Triad Sports Radio. I don't have enough time here to thank everybody who makes that possible, but if you're a long-time listener of this show, regardless of how long you consider long-time listener to be, thank you so much for making the time. It means more to us than you know, but we didn't get here by patting ourselves on the back. So let's get into something here. In a joint statement, Oklahoma and Texas officially announced that they will not be renewing their grant of rights with the Big 12 Conference after the current deal they have with the league expires in 2025. Let me translate that for you. They're gone, and they aren't leaving in my opinion, without knowing what their next stop is. It's going to be the SEC, and while I think both Texas and Oklahoma will transition just fine to the South, I I expect more from the Sooners. In fact, I expect a lot more from Oklahoma because I think they could thrive in the SEC, maybe even enjoy similar success to what they enjoyed in the Big 12 Conference. I get it's a leg up in competition, but look at the reasons why Oklahoma wants to join the SEC. It's not all about money. Of course, that's a piece of it, as we've discussed. It's why Maryland left the ACC for the Big Ten just to be uncompetitive and not have any rivals and have to get on a plane every week to play any of their ball games. They were broke. They saw a payday, an improvement of pay in the Big Ten Conference. They went ahead and took it. In this circumstance, Texas and Oklahoma, they are fine. Look at the revenue. They are fine. But they saw that the SEC got this massive TV deal with ESPN to broadcast their games exclusively. They already were dealing with the gap in TV revenue. They saw that was only expanding. They're just propping up the conference that they're in, and they said, listen, if we can't beat them, join them. So money does play a role in this, but I think for Oklahoma specifically, joining the SEC gives them a massive recruiting boost. In the last 10 years, according to 24-7, Oklahoma has not had one top five recruiting class. In the last decade, Oklahoma football that's been to the playoff a handful of times. I believe the only team that's been to the playoffs more than Oklahoma, the only teams, plural, Alabama and Clemson. Yet, in the last decade, they have not had a top five recruiting class. Meanwhile, the Texas Longhorns, they've had four. Texas has this brand 
and this school and this donor base and this TV network where they could go to a recruit regardless of where they're at and say, we're Texas, come play for us, and you're going to be playing for one of the biggest brands in college football, and everybody's going to care. And that has not changed regardless of how bad Texas has been relative to their standards in the last decade. Texas is going to be all right. It's not going to be a massive uptick in recruiting them joining the SEC. It will be that for Lincoln Riley's group. Lincoln now has a good reason and a good chance to recruit Georgia and Florida, to get some of these monster athletes to go to his school with the promise that they will be playing close to home. He can't say that now. That's why he he doesn't have a top-five recruiting class. He can't recruit the South as well because it's hard to convince them to come to Norman, Oklahoma, regardless of how good that offense is, when many of the other schools you're recruiting against. I can play close to home. It's the SEC. There's more attention, more eyeballs, more social media engagement. It's hard to fight that. This is going to be massive for Oklahoma. And it looks like he's going to have a few years to get it ramped up so they can hit the ground running right out of the gate. If they're not going to join until after 2025, the next few years, you recruit differently. You build different relationships. So that by the time you are playing SEC football games, you are in pristine position, not just to compete, but to contend. The SEC, they haven't seen anything like Lincoln Riley's offense. Yeah, they've seen it in flashes. Alabama at points has this high-octane passing attack. Joe Burrow with Joe Brady in 2019 at LSU. But by and large, the Big 12 does things differently. Just look at the last time we saw expansion. Two Big 12 teams joined the SEC and were made fun of, thinking that they could compete in the Southeastern Conference. Texas A&M and Missouri. <laughs> you think you could compete with Bama, LSU, Auburn? You guys are cute. Texas A&M had a Heisman Trophy winner in Manziel. Missouri won a division in the SEC, went to the SEC championship. It took time for the conference to adjust to the way that Missouri and A&M played football. It impacted things. There's no doubt about it. And once they adjusted, things went back to their normal rhythms. Oklahoma is a lot better than A&M and Missouri. Lincoln Riley is the best coach, will be the best coach in this conference, not named Nick Saban. If Nick Saban's still coaching in the SEC in five years. That's another big deal here that I don't think is being talked about enough. By the time Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC, if this is in fact going to happen after the grant of rights deal expires in 2025, are we sure Saban's still going to be coaching? We see, we've seen it here in this state, these legendary coaches that have been around, Roy Williams and Coach K deciding to hang it up. They're done talking with 16, 17, and 18-year-olds. They're done trying to adapt so much to how much college football and college sports are changing. In their case, college basketball, I should have said. Nick Saban might be gone by 2025. He turns 70 in October. And if he's not at Alabama, what coach in this conference do you trust more 
than Lincoln Riley. If Oklahoma's winning now and getting to the playoff without Georgia and Florida kids, what do you think he's going to do when he gets them? And what do you think's going to happen if Nick Saban's not there to stop him at Alabama? Oklahoma, unlike Texas, is in position not just to have success in the SEC, but to thrive. And you might be thinking, Josh, well, in the college football playoff, we've seen Oklahoma go up against SEC powers, and they've gotten drilled. Look at what LSU did to Oklahoma in that playoff game. Alabama, look what they did in that playoff game back in 2018. They have no shot at competing. They got ran off the field. To that, I'd say, there's a huge difference between preparing for an opponent with four weeks to get ready versus three days. Preparing for Lincoln Riley's offense on three days' notice, a lot different than four weeks. And I think that's what we're going to learn when Oklahoma joins the SEC in a handful of years. So how's the ACC going to respond to this? The fact that we know now, Texas and Oklahoma, they're leaving. They haven't confirmed they're going to the SEC, but they're going to the SEC. On Friday, I told you that what I think Jim Phillips should do at West Virginia, in addition to Notre Dame. Of course, you try to get Notre Dame if they don't, or even if you do, I think the right move is to add the Mountaineers. And it appears clear this weekend that the ball is in the ACC's court to make that happen. Nicole Auerbach and G. Allen Taylor from The Athletic reported this. Quote, multiple sources indicated that the ACC would be West Virginia's preferred destination, assuming it ultimately chooses to leave the Big 12 and interest is reciprocated. Rather than just say West Virginia is the best option for the ACC, I'm going to go out and say that West Virginia is going to be a part of the ACC's expansion plans. I don't have that on any type of record. I'm not reporting this. This is not, uh, I, I, this isn't based on information from the conference itself or even coaches or ADs. They're pretty tight-lipped on, on the subject right now. But I do think West Virginia has a stronger case to join the ACC now than 10 years ago. Consider this, and then we'll get to a phone call or two, marking our three-year anniversary on the show, 336-777-1600 if you want in. The rise of Clemson. Ten years ago, there was this thing called Clemsoning, where every year Clemson would be great, but then would lose an unexpected game that cost them a shot at a national title. Well, those days are over. In 2011, we were still a few years out from Deshaun Watson winning the title for Clemson and Trevor Lawrence winning a title for Clemson. Now they're the power of the league, and their voices are are loudest in those meeting rooms. President Jim Clemens is a West Virginia grad. That's certainly worth knowing. Plus, all the teams that got in over West Virginia from the Big East, they, they're they in this league. They now have a voice in the conversation. They might want one of their old friends to join in. I'm talking about Pittsburgh, Louisville, and Syracuse. ACC leadership, they'll be more receptive to it. Jim Phillips, he he's trying to make a name for himself. 
The league's in a more desperate position because of TV revenue and this grant of rights uh, agreement that goes through 2036 that makes things ominous from a revenue perspective. The league's more desperate. Jim Phillips is trying to make his mark. A new commissioner, he has to do something. West Virginia, I think, is going to be there waiting for him. Plus, let's not forget that West Virginia's AD, Shane Lyons, spent 10 years as an ACC associate AD. 10 years ago, there were better options than West Virginia. There's no question. You could turn away UConn. You could turn away West Virginia and bring in the teams that you did. Right now, if and other than Notre Dame, there's nobody that brings the regional aspect that West Virginia does. A top 40 budget that's available to you. Facilities that just got renovated that look tremendous, that have been recently upgraded. Tremendous fan base. You know, there yes, there are negatives. Academics, TV market, but the positives, I think, outweigh those negatives. You've got to act. You say football is going to be a priority. Well, West Virginia has pedigree in football. And they're also pretty darn good at basketball, too. I think they have a stronger case to join the league than they did 10 years ago when, of course, they wanted to join. Let's go to Mark in Greensboro. Mark, it's good to hear from you today on our show's three-year anniversary. What do you got for me? Yes, sir. Hey, first off, congratulations. Uh Happy for you. Uh, it's a pretty big milestone. And uh, I just hope wish you many more years in this market, and hopefully that comes to fruition. Uh, it's first. Thank you. Uh, what I was going to say was, um, how about, I mean, I know, you, I know you've been kind of touting West Virginia. Let's, let's, let's say Notre Dame says no. And I'm glad you brought up the streaming service. I, I made a call to Robert uh, when you were in a, in a thing at the ACC meetings, and I just said, make sure you pass that along to Josh, because that's a huge part of why they're, they're thinking no to joining a conference because they feel like they can make that into like Netflix or Notre Dame. And, and to hold you uh, up real quick, they're hoping, and this yeah. is what I was told by someone with Notre Dame, that they're hoping to do with that streaming service what the Yankees did years ago with the Yes Network, which has been incredibly yep. profitable for them. Absolutely. Uh, and so what I was going to say is when we're talking about ACC, SEC, just one quick point on Oklahoma, and then I wanted to see another team that you would consider adding. Um, Oklahoma, I, I think they're great. I think you're you're probably pretty spot on with Lincoln Riley, but I'd like to see him spend a year or two in the SEC before we start coin, uh, getting him to that level because he's playing he's playing Kansas State and TCU. Uh, these these defenses are so bad. I mean, look at the points per game that Oklahoma is putting up and the defenses that they're playing against. And that's why going into a, a BCS game or college football playoff, they get blasted because the, the athletes aren't there. Yeah, maybe four or five years in, once he gets his recruiting done, that's possible. But, I mean, I don't think initially they're going to have a ton of success. I heard a guy on uh, Dan Patrick this morning saying, you know, Oklahoma has a hard enough time with TCU and uh, and these guys Iowa State. And now we're going to play Alabama and Georgia on a regular yeah. basis. That'd be tough. We'll see. Um, Hope you got to step up the recruiting. You got to step up the recruiting if you're going to step up in uh, competition. Who's the team you want to throw my way? If if you're going to consider West Virginia, why don't you consider Cincinnati? Top ten team last year. Uh, as you know, our boy West Miller's <laughs> up there as a basketball coach. Yeah, Bring huge Cincinnati fan, Maybe, Mark in Greensboro. I forgot you're a huge Cincinnati guy now, right? Let's go. Well, let's go, man. I'm, I'm, but I'm serious. Like, if we're going to talk about going that far up north, and we have Syracuse involved in upstate New York, I mean. Talking about regional, I mean, Cincinnati's got a, a really good football program now. Like I said, top 10, top 10 in the country last year. Rising coach. Uh, and then you got the basketball team is, is has, has pedigree. Two-time national champions. I mean, not a bad pick. 
Yeah, you know, I, I would love to see Wes Miller closer around, and I appreciate the call, Mark, uh, and also the kind words as well. That's Mark in Greensboro. Kind enough to join. I, I think the problem would be, I'm guessing here, would be budget. I hear this about UCF, right? Hey, UCF, bring them in. They have all this competitive football, but they're ranked 55, uh, 55th excuse me, in budget and revenue, what their total amount of revenue is, and that's an important thing when you're talking about big-time college football and trying to compete with the big dogs. I have it in front of me here. This is according to USA Today Sports two years ago that Cincinnati is right behind UCF, 56th in terms of what they bring in total revenue in college sports. East Carolina, a couple spots behind that at 58th. West Virginia is at 40th. So that's that's the one area that might be pretty tricky with that. You know who this is? You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Brian Geisinger now joining us from accsports.com. I guess we'll be leaning on his ACC expertise a little bit when talking about the NBA draft. Few people I know love the NBA draft as much as BG does. He studies up on all the prospects. He watches college basketball across the country as I do, but I'm never really thinking about guys in the context of the NBA when I'm watching random small school A or random small school B I'm looking at this draft and being told there are 18 to 20 guys that might be players who could contribute immediately on teams, and then you got a really good top tier, kind of like what we had last year where three or four guys were really strong NBA players that could be superstars like a LaMelo ball. BG, I just want to pick your brain, so let's not go long on any of these, but not really go rapid fire either just because I hate the concept of a rapid fire segment. Let's just start with the prospect you had the most fun watching tape of. Oh, boy. A lot of those guys in this draft. Um, Evan Mobley, uh, the center from USC, can do a little bit of everything. Phenomenal defensive prospect. But, you know, uh, a big guy that can handle the ball, can run the break, can step away, can shoot, can, can play both sides of the pick and roll. Um, loved evaluating him. Loved watching him this season. Um, I think he should go number two to Houston, although it seems like he may actually slip to Cleveland at number three. But I'll say Evan Mobley for the most fun I had this Do year. Do you think there should be a discussion at number one between Cade and Mobley? Uh, not re- depends on how quick. I think you could have a quick discussion. I think Cade is in his own tier. Um, and I say as someone that loves Evan Mobley, I think he's a franchise-altering superstar. I think he'll make multiple all-star games. Um, and Cade is not like immune from criticism. He's, I think at Oklahoma state this season showed some concerns with his just like overall, like, like run jump athleticism in like burst with the basketball overall, though, I think he's like a, a pretty darn good athlete and he is just an incredible creator of advantage and passer and decision maker offensively. They can be pretty darn good on the defensive end too. huge at the guard position. So, um, you know, you know, if you're doing your due diligence, yeah, you can talk about that. 
but I, I don't think you should do anything that would have anyone usurp Cade uh, in this draft class. Towards the back end of the lottery, what's a best case for the Hornets? What's a worst case? There's a lot of good, like, I feel pretty confident in a bunch of different ways for Charlotte to go in. I think, like, even the worst case scenarios aren't, like, that bad. Um, uh, at least, in, you know, until you sort of get into the opportunity cost, you know, thought process here. I think, like, a worst case type thing would be, and, and I apologize to UNC fans that might be listening, like, they can't draft Aaron Sharp at 11. And I don't think that's going to happen. And, and really, that hasn't been, like, in the rumor mill all that much. I think maybe Chad Ford put that out there. Um, Sharp is a good prospect. I love his defensive processing. I love his playmaking. I love his motor. I think he's going to be an NBA player for a long time. But like, I don't know how Dayron Sharp scores. That isn't like a garbage, you know, it's like, you know, him running the quarter, getting an offensive rebound. So, um, that's maybe worst case, best case scenario, I think would be like, um, you know, does someone like Moses Moody fall to them at 11 at 11 does Scotty Barnes, which I don't think he's going to fall beyond five, but if he could somehow fall to them at 11 um, I I've said this on the year show before, but I really do think Jaded Springer would be um, just a tremendous pick for them at 11 from Tennessee. So personally. Yeah. The guard from Tennessee from Charlotte, but it's just an absolute fire hydrant, um, you know, built like a, like an Olympic bodybuilder who can really defend on the basketball He's still just 18 years old. He can shoot. He's got phenomenal body control. Like, I just think he's one of the best players in this draft. Um, but, 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 but my evaluation of him is different than, than where some of like, you know, the ESPN draft express guys have him. So, um, but I think they've got a lot of good possibilities. The Hornets do at 11, like a wide range. I really do. Um, but I'd be curious to see if someone like Moody could even slip to them at 11, the, the wing from uh, Arkansas. Brian Geisinger is on Twitter at BGuys underscore Bird. A great guy to follow always, but particularly this week with the NBA draft coming up on Thursday. Mitch Kupchak, he spoke earlier today for the first time in a long time ahead of the draft and also after we learned about LiAngelo Ball. Pretty bad kept secret that he was going to become a Hornet and be alongside his brother. Uh, I'm interested... This is a very important offseason for the Hornets, no question about it. But when you're looking at addressing the center problem, there are some names to consider. Daniel Tice has been tied to the Hornets. Uh, some, A couple of people have been texting me about Willie Colley-Stein possibilities. And then it's pretty thin when you look at the actual free agent class, like Robin Lopez is in there. If you want to go to trade route, how can you possibly put together a deal for Miles Turner, given how good he is defensively from Indiana. What what do you like is the best option for the Hornets at center? It's funny, man. The Hornets have been involved with Miles Turner's rumors for I, I don't even know. Six how months. Long. Years. Six years. months. Maybe even years? Yeah. Dude, more years. Yeah. Like it, it, this has been like a flirtation that's gone back and forth for a while. Uh, but here's how I would break it down for the Hornets. Um, they can clear out, depending on what they do with a couple of different things. They can clear up to probably about close to $20, $20 million for the cap space this summer, which is like not bad, not enough for a max contract, but there are really no max players to be had anyway. So it's, it's fine. Um, Kawhi's not coming that, to Charlotte. There's a, yeah, no, I don't think so. But there's a, look, I know maybe not a lot of Sacramento Kings fans uh, in the area, but uh, Rashawn Holmes yes. uh, has turned into a very, very good two-way center uh, can catch a lob, can be playing the pick and roll, can protect the rim, can switch defensively. 
I think he's the best center on the free agent market. And I think he's absolutely someone Charlotte should go at with a three-year contract, four-year contract, whatever it is. And again, they can offer him a fair amount of, uh, of money um, on a per year basis for someone like Holmes that could get, get play with, you know, passers like Lamella ball and Gordon Hayward, that might be kind of uh, kind of appealing. Like he could come here and be a, be a featured player on a, on a team that, you know, is not contending for a title, but is young and exciting and, and people want to watch because of, of Lamello uh, in the secondary market are guys like Daniel Tice, who you mentioned, uh, Nerlens Noel, uh, potentially Mitchell Robinson, depending on what New York does. Uh, with the with the with the Knicks do with uh, with his contract, uh, perhaps Montrez Harrell could be a, a player in free oh, agency. No. Here we go row. again, Montrez. I mean, Harrell. that would not be that would be like we're talking about some sort of like these are like you know for lack of a better term these are some of the the second and third tier options. Um, could you be worse than Jared Bismack? Allen, Probably uh, not. Jared Allen is a restricted free agent with Cleveland, and I think it seems like the Cavs are gonna. Um, want to bring him back even if Evan Mobley were to fall to another center were to fall to them at three they seem fairly confident that they want to bring Allen back as they should because they could always trade him if they needed to just turn him into an asset that way but um you know a team like Charlotte could throw at or could throw a big offer they could throw a you know a four-year 80 million dollar offer sheet at, at Jared Allen and would Cleveland want to match that uh, who knows but Holmes is the one that ever that that a lot of people have circled and, and he would be a tremendous addition for them and, and they could also look to go through the draft and certainly having pj washington who can play the four and the five um that that helps too at least with you know your second units and stuff like that 30 second version what are you expecting to do on draft night where can we follow your coverage uh all over the place but definitely at b guys underscore bird on twitter we'll have stuff going up with the acc guys at accsports.com and uh the buzzbeat cop podcast we'll be doing a live show that night uh at at uh at buzzbeat pod on uh on twitter uh look looking at what the hornets end up doing that night uh it seems like kai jones might be the guy for texas but it just a lot's going to depend on what happens to the in front of them so uh as as is the case when you draft at 11 like there's just gonna be a lot of moving and shaking in front of them but it seems like kai jones the center from texas and, and maybe even Corey kispert the the shooter out of gonzaga are, are emerging as sort of two of the more likely candidates that Charlotte is uh, interested in. Speaking of Texas, this note before we get to out precise, the guys comes from Ross Dellinger. SEC presidents have called for a meeting on Thursday. Texas and Oklahoma earlier today um, announced that they would not agree that they would be finished after this grant of rights that they have with the big 12 that goes through 2025 essentially saying they're not going to be a part of the Big 12 anymore. According to Ross Dellinger, the second step is applying for membership, which is expected to happen but hasn't yet as of 5 o'clock Monday afternoon today. The third step after applying for membership is a presidential vote, which could happen as soon as Thursday. There you go. Let's get into Out Precise the Guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham, uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the Geis. Robert Walsh said... 
pretty unilaterally that the last time we played this game was the best version of Out Precise the Geist, where we were both just sinking half-court shots, but somebody had to win, and you won by, like, one point difference. Uh, well, only, 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 uh, can only go down from there then, right? If, if we did our best last <laughs> week, then, then look, I look forward to falling short with you. Nah, uh, this is going to be Godfather 2. See, that's Godfather 1. This is Godfather 2, which I believe is the better of the two. Yeah. Let's hope so, right? I hope you guys are ready. Uh, I don't need any short answers here, guys. I want you to think thoroughly and give me as much time as you possibly need because <laughs> these are some tough questions. The Olympics are here. And uh, even though the USA is down, they're not out. And that's where I want to start out precisely, the guys today. Kevin Durant only had 10 points. And I think that's in part due to the three fouls he had in the first half. How many times has that happened in his 544 NBA game career? How many times has Kevin Durant went to the half with three fouls? It, can't, oh. it, can, it cannot be many. By the way, yeah, Durant, 10 points on 12 shots, and he fouled out of that game against France. I mean, you, that's like got it. Like, it's hard for Durant to play a worse game than that, honestly. Just a complete outlier performance from him. And before um, you get into this, rem- too, guys, I had a question. Like, it seems like nobody's really shooting well from three. It's not just the U.S. Do you think these rims yeah. have something to do with it? It's just a different kind of ball? Maybe that, maybe some of like the, if there's any sort of like depth perception issues, you know, at the, at a, at a new gym, maybe these guys are just tired too. Um, but I think at this point, this, the sample size is still small. So we'll see what happens as things go along. Like that, you know, they're going to shoot better from three going forward here. They, or, or they're going to get sent home really, really quickly. Um, but for Durant, um, I will say 20. How about that? I've got nine written down here. Kevin Durant, only 10 times has he gone to... Let's go! All right. All right. Mr. Act like you've been there with an early lead. Uh, But speaking (laughs) about Kevin, he moved into the fourth spot on Olympic appearance list with 17. Only Carmelo, who has 31, and LeBron and David Robinson, who both have 24, are ahead of him. How many players have at least 16 Olympic appearances? Wait, so the only guys ahead of Durant, we're talking about Olympic games played, is Carmelo and whom? LeBron and David Robinson. Oh, LeBron, David Robinson. Okay. But that has nothing to do with the question. Just a little fact I threw in there to to make you look one way and then go the other. I'm just asking, how many players have at least 16 Olympic appearances? So counting those guys. You can count how you can count whoever you want to. I mean, obviously, yeah. all of those guys have more because okay. I gave you the number. I'm just asking yeah. you how many of them have been the Olympics and have 16 appearances. Okay, and it's basically guys that have played in the Olympics twice because that's eight games. Um, I will say, I'll say 15. I've got 11. 15 people. Let's go. Oh, Let's go. Olympic appearances. You got to stop. Let's go. That's, that's unbelievable. I ticked them off because I was off one and BG got ran off the floor in the first game or the first question. <laughs> but then he just goes and hits it off. This is like when NC State was leading at halftime against Houston and Fijama Slamma. And then they scored like 15 or 17 in a row. That That's what BG just did here. So it comes down to this. The yeah. last question about precise the guys. All right, while France is getting a lot of pub for beating the U.S., and they should, uh, another NBA superstar is garnering a lot of headlines of his own, and that's Luka. 
Uh, Luca snapped for 48 points in his Olympic debut. How many times has Luca scored 48 or more points in his career? Oh. Uh, wow. Um, boy, I don't know if you guys saw any of that game today. Luca, man, that guy is something, uh, <laughs> something special. Um, I will say uh, zero. Trick question here on your part. I'll say zero. I've got seven written down. You are too smart, guys. I cannot even get you, even with my phonetics. Let's go. Trying to throw something there. Luca's career high in the NBA is 46. He has never scored 48 points in the NBA. Let's go. I saw people talking about this on Twitter earlier today, so I I had a little bit of – I had an idea of of where this one was going. That's the ultimate research, man. Because look at me. You think I'm doing real research? If it ain't on Stats <laughs> Reference or ESPN, buddy, it's not a real thing that's going to be on the show. So check those out if you want to do some research. That was a fun one. Guys wins 2-1 uh, there. We've got, yep. a, we've got a ringer in here. When the bleep did we get ice cream? Yep. BG, uh, man, this is the three-year anniversary of our show, and you've been on this show pretty much the entire way through, my friend. Uh, well, that is, uh, oh boy, three years. Where did the time go? Uh, the last year has been a bit of a blur for, uh, for a, a variety of reasons, but, um, yeah, it's good. Thanks for having me on. It's always, uh, it's always fun to join you guys and, and, and talk about hoops with you and Robert. Yeah. Good luck. We'll talk to you soon. There he goes. That's Brian Geisiger joining us. Follow his coverage. Be guys underscore bird and it's draft week. So. A lot of stuff going on there. Um, gosh, we'll get into many of the draft uh, topics on tomorrow's show because we just, frankly, have run out of time on today's show. Jay Billis, we're hoping to catch up with him before we get the draft night on Thursday. He's just firing off takes on on Sports Center, saying that the SEC and ACC should have a merger. Last call for phone calls today. If you want in on our three-year anniversary show, 336-777-1600 is the phone number as always. We've got Permar who's going to join us tomorrow. That is always a lot of fun. And in addition to that, Robert, we're still we're just a few weeks away from the start of the Wyndham Championship at Sedgefield in uh in greensboro there i i saw that webb simpson is going to be a part of that field a lot of local guys hope will zalatoris's back is feeling better after having to withdraw from the open championship i saw that he's going to be in the mix cam young or no is cameron champ good on him getting a win yesterday on the pga tour so it's about time for us to be talking about golf and be talking about uh, football, gosh, we got training camp later this week. This is this might be the most jam-packed month of July that I can remember as somebody who's in the media. Usually, July's a month, hey, you take off for vacation and you're just hanging out and just counting the days until we get to football season, but not this year. So much is happening. Weird. Weird. A little weird.
I know it's weird. Just go with it. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Not surprisingly, our next guest has been all over it from the ACC's perspective. Andrea Adelson from ESPN wrote this fantastic story alongside our friend David Hale, who also works at ESPN, of course, a few months ago about Jim Phillips and some of the challenges he faces as the new ACC commish. And realignment commanded this really big section in the story where they talked about Texas and Oklahoma potentially being an option, something that you could at least consider. Those are some, That's something that commissioners in college sports have been discussing for the better part of a decade, certainly directors of athletics. And now we've seen it, Texas and Oklahoma officially notifying the Big 12 that they don't plan to renew a grant of rights, that essentially they're going to be leaving the, uh, leaving the Big 12 conference after that expires in 2025, if not sooner. But you'd have to work out a handful of details in order to make sure that's the case. Andrea Adelson now joins us here on WSJS Sports. So you've been following this all off season. Now that Oklahoma and Texas are off the table, do you see the ACC's realignment strategy as Notre Dame or bust? It certainly has to be, but there's only one problem with that strategy. Notre Dame wants nothing to do with joining a conference. And so what does that look like moving forward? What does the ACC have for leverage to convince Notre Dame that this would be a good idea? And right now the ACC has nothing in terms of leverage. And there are some folks uh, in that article that you talked about, and thanks for mentioning it, who were very open with us while we were writing it about how they felt the ACC missed an opportunity last year in the middle of the pandemic to force Notre Dame to join. Hey, if you want to be a part of this conference, then you have to join full time. It can't just be either or. And I had one person say, it's like we open the door, let them take all our stuff uh, and then let them walk out the back. And, and that's how some in the league felt at the time. And that sentiment still exists today because it's become more apparent that Notre Dame has no plans to join a conference, uh, even now that we've seen this shift. So I think that's the biggest problem for the ACC moving forward as you start to look at what is the landscape going to be. You're not just going to add teams to add teams. You have to add teams that are going to bring value to your conference from uh, an exposure perspective, but more importantly, from a money perspective. And there are only a handful of schools who do that. That's why Texas and Oklahoma were in that article in March, because they do that, and Notre Dame does that. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what their plan is moving forward. I know that once the news broke, uh, the ACC was trying to, you know, be proactive here and, and reach out to Texas, because if you'll recall, Ten years ago, there were discussions between Texas and and the ACC. Um, So now that that's not going to happen, and now that it appears Notre Dame is not really convinced they need to join a conference, what do you do so that you essentially are not just pushed off to the side and irrelevant? Could you see a scenario where the ACC adds nobody when the SEC expands to 16? 
It's a good question. I don't think that anybody has an answer to that one yet because there are the potential for some creative solutions here. And a couple of people have floated the idea of partnerships between conferences or just the formation of 20-team, you know, 32-team Super Leagues uh, so where you have you know, the elite of the elite, and then everybody else. Uh, actually, actually, a- real quick, Andrea, we have that yeah. sound, I think, real quick. Robert, let's see if we can play that. Jay Billis of your company, he always is very interesting, and man, does he do a <laughs> lot. You've got the draft coming up later this week he's going to be on, and he, he he's talking about realignment and all these things. He, he brought that up, and it's such a fascinating idea, not just from the ACC's perspective and the SEC's, but even when you look at the Big 12 and the Pac-12 as well. Robert, do we have this ready to go? I think that the, the interesting part for me, Matt, is what's going to happen long term. Because if if you're in this business now, you're going to have to start thinking bigger. Uh, Greg Sankey and the SEC are certainly doing that. Uh, if I were commissioner of the ACC, one thing I'd be thinking about is approaching the SEC and saying, look at all the natural rivals we have, rivalries we have mm-hmm. uh, interconference. Why don't we start thinking about a merger? And uh, because that, that's what the SEC is going to become. It's going to become the NFL, a junior NFL and that's a right. junior NBA. And there's no reason why the ACC shouldn't jump in there and take advantage of those natural rivalries and markets. And if I were if I were Jim Phillips, I'd be ringing Greg Sankey's phone saying, how about a merger? What's the first problem you think of when the idea of a merger of conferences comes uh, is even brought up here, Andrea? Just the first problem, because I feel like I just yeah. came up with 10, right? <laughs> Obviously, you know, money is number one. And the interesting thing about the finances and the money is right now you have equal revenue distribution across the conference, right, uh, in the SEC or in the ACC. Does that have to be rethought if you're talking about a potential merger where, uh, your more prominent uh, programs that drive television ratings maybe get a larger cut uh, compared to some of the others. Um, what does it look like from a scheduling perspective? Uh, what does it look like from a power perspective? Who's going to wield the most power? Uh, are Is Florida going to want Florida State uh, in the same conference? Is Clemson going to uh, want South Carolina in the same conference. We could sit here and go round and round in circles about how we've gotten to this point. And a lot of the reason we've gotten to this point is because natural in-state rivals don't want to be in the same conference. They want to block each other from having the same share of what they have. Um, and, and and so there are a lot of issues with it. But I do agree with Jay's overriding point here that this is an entirely new era that we're entering into in collegiate athletics. And the old way of doing business is not going to work anymore. It's just not. And so trying to reimagine what it looks like is a big part of all commissioners' jobs. And it's funny uh, because Jim Phillips has used this phrase, you need to reimagine what football looks like. But he used that for the ACC because they've wanted to elevate football. But really reimagining what football looks like in this new era where the NCAA increasingly has no power and there are more calls for a breakaway uh, from the NCAA, you know, that to me, reimagining football is what this is all going to be about. Andrea Adelson, ESPN on Twitter at A. Adelson, ESPN, Reader Stuff, you are doing it better than she is. 
covering the ACC side of things right now. Uh, I remember running into you in Charlotte last week. I went up to you at the hotel bar at the Westin, and I told you, I'm going to be a lone wolf. I know I'm going to be a lone wolf. There's going to be the ACC preseason polls going to come out. There's going to be one idiot that voted for Pittsburgh to win the Coastal Division, and you're talking to that guy right now. <laughs> I, I, I'm not one of the loons that picked Georgia Tech or NC State to win the ACC championship. I'm not picking against Clemson, but the Coastal's crazy. The media generally gets it wrong. I've got Pittsburgh in that spot. Uh, the preseason uh, poll came out today, and it was Clemson and North Carolina, predictably, in the ACC championship with Clemson winning. Any surprises that you saw? Not really. Uh, I expected the the first two teams in, in both the Atlantic and the Coastal to be there. Uh, in the Atlantic, it wasn't exactly the way I submitted it, but I have no quibbles with how it turned out because I think you could probably put – and I'm going to put NC State in here. I think you could probably put teams two through – six in just about any order, maybe teams two through five. I actually had Florida State at six, um, so I was a little surprised they were higher than that. And in the Coastal, you can always just put them in a bag and shake them up and come up with any order, and, and you wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, You know, I, I think I about Pitt, I've made the mistake of picking them to win the Coastal only to have my heart broken because Pitt ends up doing Pitt things. So as long as you're prepared uh, – to stand on the hill fighting for Pitt only to have anything that you said about them completely dashed by midseason, you're fine. Uh, I think David Hale went down this road last year and the Pitt train, um, you know, crashed <laughs> shortly after it left the station. So uh, he can give you much more insight on what it's like to be uh, the, the lone Pitt supporter out there. But I could make an argument for Pitt. I honestly could make an argument for five teams in the Coastal finishing first in the Coastal. And that's the way it needs to be in the Coastal, or else it wouldn't feel like a new ACC football season. I'm protecting my heart, Andrea. I'm approaching my pit pick the same way I approach watching like a romance movie that has like a dog as a central character. Just protecting my heart <laughs> for something that might happen later on in the movie. Just preparing myself just in case. That's how I'm approaching my pit pick. Uh, it's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear your laugh. It was good to see you last week. And yes. uh, I look forward to seeing more of your work. It was great to see you as always. Thanks for having me. Of course. That's Andrea Adelson on Twitter at A. Adelson ESPN. Robert, that's the way you got to approach it if you see a dog that's like a major part of the movie and the first, you know, like a, a perfect example of this. It's not like a romance movie is War of the Worlds, where you see Tom Cruise and the dog and all of it. You just know eh, that they're featuring this dog a little bit too much. Maybe you don't get emotionally attached to the dog. You just kind of protect your heart a little bit. I mean, even in Sandlot, they try to paint that dog as a villain, and he croaked before the movie was over, too. <laughs> Wait, the dog in Sandlot died? Yes, but it has a bunch of puppies. You don't remember that? I thought the dog was there watching on the porch. I thought he got up. Oh, that thing's dead, dude. Can, Cole, can you give me some... Can you confirm this? I don't remember the beast dying at the end. The boys killed James Earl Jones's dog? I did not know that was the case. I haven't seen Sandlot in a dozen years. But the dog died? I thought so. Maybe I'm wrong. But I cool. thought he had a bunch of little puppies. 
Cole, what do you have for me here? Well, it's only been a couple seconds, so he hasn't been able to, to Google search enough to see oh, if the dog sorry, dies or Cole. not. I'm sorry, Cole. You know, we're going to get to your Packers in a bit and get to Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson momentarily. But this is a depressing way for this segment to end. I hope it actually ends with something more cheery. I mean, you're the one that brought up dogs, Don. I, I know. I know. I know. I regret that. It's why I didn't watch the movie Dog's Purpose. I saw the trailer. I said out loud in a movie theater, oh, bleep off. To the point where a mom and her kid looked over in my direction when I said it. It was a reflex. Oh, bleep off. Okay, he doesn't die in the first one. He dies in the second one. I didn't know there was a second one. Yeah, the, well, it's not. The new dog's name is Goliath. But yeah, he dies. Just not in the first movie. Okay, that makes me feel better. I haven't seen the second one. Now I'm not going to see the second one. Uh, But the beast is okay at the end of the first one. That makes me happy. Okay, Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. They're back in the news, and the latest updates could not be more infuriating to me. That's next on The Drive.